Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a series of programs on the subject of baptism, and today's program is a continuation of the previous broadcast. In the previous program, I was talking about the Apostle Paul and that his baptism was unique in the sense that he was not really being baptized in the same way that the other apostles were baptized. The other apostles were baptized according to the baptism of John, of John the Baptist. And his baptism was a baptism of repentance into a life of repentance and obedience. The Apostle Paul was already living a life of repentance and obedience, and so his baptism was technically a baptism out of that life. In Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 17, we have the testimony of what happened when he was baptized. In verse 17 it says, So Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized." And he took food and was strengthened. Now for several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus. He was there, but again he had nowhere to go. He really had nowhere to go because the other apostles, the other disciples, especially those in Jerusalem, were beginning to pursue a life that he had already pursued, that he had already accomplished. I was explaining this in the previous program. Towards the end of his ministry, the Apostle Paul did speak of this event, and this is recorded in Acts chapter 22, beginning in verse 12, where it says, A certain Ananias, a man who was devout by the standard of the law and well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing near said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very time I looked up at him and he said, The God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear an utterance from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to all men of what you have seen and heard. Now why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Now in this testimony, this is the testimony of the Apostle Paul of what Ananias said to him. Washing away his sins? What sins? He had already lived a life that was a life of repentance and obedience. He would have been convinced that he had no sins. What sins would he be talking about? I personally believe that the sins that he was washing away were his sins of religious pride, his sins of trying to live a life that he could not live. To try to live a life of obedience to the Mosaic Law is technically a sin because you are not resting in what the Lord Jesus has done for you according to his will, which is what Ananias referred to in Acts chapter 22, verse 14. The God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear an utterance from his mouth. And what was that message? 
what was the unique message of the Apostle Paul, first of all, that the will of God is a description of an inheritance that we have received as a result of his death, that the righteous one has revealed through his mouth to the Apostle Paul and to many others that we are to turn away from our life of repentance and obedience and now turn to a life of dependency and trust on what Jesus has done for us, that we now live on the basis of the inheritance that we have received as a result of his will. So the sins that he would have had to turn away from were those sins of trying to live in obedience to the commandments that he could never live. He needed to rest from a life under the law. He needed to rest from his works of righteousness. That was the unique message of the Apostle Paul, that we can now rest in what Jesus has done and we can live a life of thankfulness for what he has already given. And we can live a life depending and trusting in what he has already done and accomplished and what he has given to us. That was the unique message of the Apostle Paul. And so his baptism of washing away his sins, in my opinion, was a baptism of washing away his sin of religious pride and all the sins that he was collecting that had to do with reliance on his own repentance and obedience. The apostles in Jerusalem had not yet encountered this. They had not yet encountered this. And so they were still pursuing a life that would be very similar to the Pharisees. Paul was stepping away from his life of being a Pharisee. And so he was free to go out into the Gentile world to bring the gospel to them. He had been set free for that purpose. So technically, his baptism was a unique baptism. It was not the baptism of John that everyone else was conducting. His baptism was a baptism out of repentance and obedience, whereas the other disciples were baptizing people into a life of repentance and obedience. When the Apostle Paul went to speak to people in the synagogues, when he talked to people about the gospel, they received the message and he did baptize people. But again, as I described in the previous program, I sincerely believe that his baptism was out of Judaism, whereas the other apostles were baptizing into Judaism. So when he met the Jews in the Gentile world and they were baptized, they were not baptized into the baptism of John like the other apostles were doing. He baptized them in a different context, and that was to be baptized out of Judaism into the New Covenant. That was something that was different. For example, in Acts chapter 16, in verse 13, it says, And on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled, a woman named Lydia from the city of Theatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Again, this is an example of someone who is identified as a Jew. She was either born Jewish or she was a proselyte who converted to Judaism. But either way, this baptism is not the baptism of John. This baptism is a baptism converting out of Judaism, converting out of the life of repentance and obedience to the Mosaic law, in this context, to the Sabbath law, but still to the law nonetheless. 
I want you to understand this, and that is that Paul's baptism was not the same. It was not done in the same way for the same reasons as the other apostles were baptizing because his gospel was different. His gospel was that all you need to do is believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Not believe and be baptized. Believe and trust in what Jesus has done for you and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He had already moved past the baptism of John, whereas others had not quite accomplished that. Another example is found in Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18, beginning in verse 8, where it says, Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and being baptized. And the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. Crispus, who was a leader of the synagogue, other people who quite likely were proselytes, were believing the gospel that Paul was presenting, and they were being baptized. Yes, they were being baptized, but again, not as a baptism of repentance from their sins as John proclaimed, John the Baptist proclaimed. This was a different kind of baptism, a baptism out of Judaism. Now again, as I explained in the earlier program, the Jews would have seen this in that context. That's how the people would have perceived this baptism, a baptism out of Judaism. When they converted people to Judaism, they were baptized into Judaism. If they are getting rebaptized, that would suggest to the Jews, to the people who were observing things there, and to the people who were being baptized, that this baptism was out of Judaism. That is how they would have perceived this. Was this necessary? Absolutely not, because once a person is resurrected, from the dead, through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, it is in that way they are saved. Then they are a member of the body of Christ. It is not necessary to make an explicit statement that you are going to remove yourself from what you were baptized into before. That was certainly not necessary, but this is a description of the historical events of what took place, and to me, this would be necessary in order to clearly show why the Jews would have been so upset. Why they would have been so angry? Why would they have been so violent? Because Paul was proclaiming the gospel and the people were believing the Apostle Paul and abandoning the synagogue, abandoning Judaism and doing so in a public way. This was what was going on. Now in Acts chapter 16, we have another example and that was with the jailer. And in Acts chapter 16 verse 31 it says, They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. That was the message of the Apostle Paul in verse 32. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. And immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. He was, yes, But the message, the gospel, is that all they needed to do was believe in the Lord Jesus. This is another example of baptism. In this context, I definitely believe that this was a Gentile being baptized, but not to be converted to Judaism as the other apostles in Jerusalem were doing. Oh, no. This was just simply something that he did, that the jailer did as an expression of his own faith, but certainly not a requirement, just simply a testimony of the events that took place, a historical record of the events as they unfolded. 
Now, the next section in the scriptures that I would like to address is found in Acts chapter 18, beginning in verse 25, and this goes until Acts chapter 19, verse 19. There's an awful lot here, but I wanted to refer to this because this, to me, codifies the baptism of the Apostle Paul and explains in detail that his baptism was not the same as the baptism of the apostles and also that this baptism is not required. It's just something that people were doing as an expression of their faith, but certainly not mandatory because the gospel is the restoration of life. The good news is about having the Holy Spirit restored, not about having an opportunity to get wet. That that is not the real issue. Beginning in Acts chapter 18, verse 25, it says, This man, referring to Apollos, this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. What would this mean? This would mean that he was telling people that Jesus is the Messiah, He was very well versed in the scriptures. He was very skilled at using the scriptures in order to provide evidence and proof to show that Jesus is the Messiah, quite likely from a prophetical standpoint. And he was acquainted only with the baptism of John, which would mean what? It would mean that he believed that a person would need to be baptized with the baptism of repentance to turn back to the Mosaic law. In other words, he was exercising the same baptism that the apostles were exercising in Jerusalem. This is the exact same baptism that they were doing. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Be baptized as a means of converting to Judaism if you are a Gentile or rededication to Judaism if you are a Jew. Either way, you are going to commit your life to repentance and obedience. And then, because of your commitment and your belief in the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. That was the message of the apostles. The people here did not understand the restoration of the Holy Spirit This is what Priscilla and Aquila speak to Apollos about. In verse 26, And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. What's more accurately? More accurately is to say that, yes, it is true that that was the baptism of John, but the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a different baptism, and this is something that the Lord Jesus does, not you. You are not the one who baptizes people with the Holy Spirit. The Lord Jesus does that. That is a difference. That is the way of God more accurately. Not to try to put people under the Mosaic Law or encourage them to live a life of greater sincerity, of greater commitment to obedience to the law. We know that the Apostle Paul was not teaching that. We know that. It's all over his letters. We know what the Apostle Paul was teaching concerning the Christian life. In verse 27, it says that Apollos then wanted to go across to Achaia. The brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. He was good at that. Then in Acts chapter 19, beginning in verse 1, it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, 
Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. Who were these disciples? These were the disciples that Apollos had been teaching. But Apollos didn't go back and talk with them about what he was teaching them previously. Instead, he just left town. Paul comes around behind him and asks them the question in verse 2. He said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, No, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. In verse 3, And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is, in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Sure, they went ahead and got baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, but not even the apostles did that. Not even the apostles in Jerusalem did that. They were baptized in the baptism of John, in a baptism of repentance. They followed Jesus throughout his ministry. They were never rebaptized in the name of Jesus. And after Jesus died and rose from the dead, they continued to baptize others with the same baptism of repentance that John presented. So for these folks to be baptized in the name of Jesus, this can mean one of two things. It can mean that they were immersed or taught in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's a possibility. I do want to say that that is a possibility. I just don't believe that. I think that they were actually baptized in water as a way of distinguishing themselves from the baptism of John. Now, what was wrong with the baptism of John? The baptism of John was a baptism into the law. That was the problem. And so, again, to me, this baptism is a baptism out of the law. It is a baptism out of the baptism of John. It is a baptism out of the baptism of repentance and obedience into something else. To me, it is an exclusion. It is a way of coming out of something which, in my opinion, would be consistent. Or there is another possibility, and that's just that these folks wanted to be baptized again in the name of Jesus, identifying themselves with the complete gospel that is not just a gospel of repentance, but also the good news of the restoration of the Holy Spirit. This is not to say that anything is required. It is only to say that these are the events that took place. When they heard this, this is in verse 5, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying, which was a way that the living God showed us, testified to us that these folks were actually saved, that the Holy Spirit did come upon them. Now, in this case, again, are we going to say that first you have to be baptized in water in the name of the Lord Jesus, and then you can receive the Holy Spirit? No, you can't say that, because if that was true, then that would be in direct contradiction with Acts chapter 10. At the end of Acts chapter 10, they received the Holy Spirit, spoke in tongues before they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. It's a complete reversal. To me, our God has given us this example, has given us this historical record, so that we cannot possibly reconcile the two and create a doctrine that does not exist. Create a belief that our God does not want us to have. This is not about a procedure. This is not about the proper order. This is not about what you do or what magic words you employ in order to be a participant in the salvation of another individual. No, the Lord Jesus himself will baptize us with the Holy Spirit. John baptized us with water. 
but Jesus baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. Which one would you like? If there is only one faith, one Lord, one baptism, which one do you want? Do you want the baptism in water or do you want the baptism with the Holy Spirit? It is only the baptism with the Holy Spirit that saves anyone. And so if you've got to choose one or the other, pick that one. I think it would be in your interest. This is not about magic. This is not a magical procedure, a magic set of words. That's why I referred to Acts chapter 19, verse 19, because in Acts chapter 19, verse 19, it says that in Ephesus, many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone, and they counted up the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver, a lot of value, that this is not about a magical procedure. This is about an acknowledgement, a belief in the truth that has been revealed, and the living God will perform the supernatural, divine act of salvation, that there is nothing that we can do to move the hand of any spirit. We cannot move the hand of the Spirit of God. That is the distinction that Paul brought to Ephesus when he presented the gospel, when people believed, when people were saved, when the manifestation of the Holy Spirit was given to confirm the truth that this is not about the baptism of John, that there is another baptism that is the baptism that the living God performs for those who believe the truth that has been clearly revealed. But the fact is that there are many people who do not have an interest in the truth. Now, this, of course, shows itself in different ways. For example, if you were to ask a person, do you have an interest in the truth? Normally, they will say, of course, I have an interest in the truth. That's not the issue. The issue is everything else that they believe, everything else that they have an interest in. For example, if you were to ask somebody today, do you have an interest in the truth? In many cases, they will reply, they will respond by saying, yeah, I have an interest in the truth, but as long as it conforms to what I believe is the truth. In other words, if you think I don't believe the truth and you want to share with me what you think the truth is that is different from what I believe, then no, I'm not interested in your truth. I'm only interested in my truth. That's a very common attitude that people have. Another attitude, however, that is not so common but is very important is the attitude of just tell me the truth. Just tell me what to believe and I'll just believe that. Or tell me what to do and I'll just do that. They don't really care enough about the truth of what they are doing or the truth of what they are believing. They don't really care that much about it. Not enough to be convinced in their own minds. Instead, they want to rely on your faith. They want to rely on what you believe. The fact is, is that there are a lot of people in the world that are around us who really don't care about the existence of God, who don't care. This may be surprising to you, but this is the fact, and that is that the vast majority of the people who we encounter in our daily lives have no interest in these things. And you need to understand this because it shows itself when people ask questions such as, do I need to be baptized or do I not need to be baptized? When I am baptized, is that a way that my sins are taken away or washed away or is it not? Just tell me, do I need to be baptized to be saved or do I not have to be baptized to be saved? I have just presented 14 programs. This is the 14th program on the subject of baptism. And after almost seven hours of teaching on this subject, there are many people 
who will listen to every program that I have done, and then they will contact me. This is one of the ways that I'm going to reduce the number of people that contact me, but there will be some people who will contact me and just ask me, tell me, do I have to be baptized to be saved or not? I mean, just get to the point and just tell me that. But that is a question from somebody who doesn't care about the truth. I don't believe that this is the kind of question somebody would ask if they really care about the truth. But for the sake of the question, I'm going to answer it right now. And that is that if you ask me, do I have to be baptized to be saved? After all that I have explained, this tells me one thing, and that is that you do not understand salvation. This tells me that you need to deal with another question, that this is not the question you really need to deal with. The question you need to deal with is, what is salvation? Because if you'll deal with this question, if you'll deal with the question of salvation, then this other question you're asking me will be dealt with easily. Of course you don't need to be baptized to be saved, because salvation has to do with being baptized by the Holy Spirit, and only the living God will perform that baptism. I was reading earlier in this program from Acts chapter 22, verse 16. This is another question that people will often ask me. In Acts chapter 22, verse 16, it says, Now why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. This is what Ananias was saying to the Apostle Paul. The question that people will ask is, if I don't get baptized, does that mean that I have not washed away my sins or I've not had my sins washed away? Well, let me ask you something. If you do this, if you get baptized with this belief, then what's going to happen the next time you sin? I mean, what's going to happen then? Are you going to have to get baptized again? Oh, no, because you don't really believe that the baptism washed away your sins the first time. Because if you did, then you would do it again the second time. But you're not going to do it a second time or a third time or repeatedly, which is what it would take. You would have to do it every minute for the rest of your life, probably, in order to resolve all the sin that you're going to continually struggle with. But you're not going to do that, at least not for very long. You're going to recognize that there's something about that that doesn't seem to be right, because you don't think that the Lord Jesus saved you for the purpose of constantly being dunked in water. And I would agree with you concerning that, that that's not the reason why he saved you. No, the real issue, the real question that has to be asked is, how do we get forgiven? Where does our forgiveness come from? What is the true means by which you obtain forgiveness? Because if you understand that, then you would understand that this was a simple statement that was made that did not establish a doctrine, but simply established the fact that Paul was going to turn away from his sins. It has to do with the attitude of somebody's heart. Forgiveness only comes through the blood of Jesus. And I will continue with this in the next program. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net.